Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you to everyone who's in the webinar today. I'm Paul Church. I'm uh, the Managing Director of Interquest. Uh, we're a tech, data and digital recruitment company. And this is our community. This is people, culture and technology. The aim really is to have uh, a key topic each week, which we think is a conversation in most businesses. And the idea is to get an expert in, someone who's got a passion around the topic to, to give us some advice and takeaways to ideally, you know, make our, all our businesses just a little bit better and the sharing of experience experiences as well. Last week, we had a really uh, interesting discussion around uh, rewriting the benefits package with Olya and Marie, and that, that is up on podcast now on Spotify and on iTunes. Uh, and this, this week, we're going to be talking about conflict in the workplace and, and how, to, how to handle it. And it's a little bit different this week, or certainly different to some of the previous last couple of weeks, in that rather than it being a a conversation with myself, although I certainly will be piping up a fair bit. We've got a presentation and our presenter is Sarah Banks. So, um, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. No problem at all. No problem at all. Everyone today, uh, this is a presentation, but if you could, throughout the presentation, please feel free to uh, ask questions, put your hand up. I'm happy to ask them myself if you like. But if you want to ask yourself and jump in, let's not wait to the end. Let's let's discuss the topics as they come. But Sarah, before before we get to that, do you mind just giving us all a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of an insight into yourself and, and, and your background, if that's okay? Sure. So I'm a business psychologist, which basically means that I'm I'm using psychology in the workplace. And I'm, I'm predominantly thinking about development, learning, building teams, and so on. So using uh, psychology in those contexts. And I'm also a coach. So my training in coaching is in gestalt coaching, but I also do provide coaching for people that are in conflict at work as well. And as well as that, I'm a, a, a mediator. I'm qualified in workplace mediation and also community mediation. So I've actually been doing quite a bit more community mediation, especially over the last year with lockdown. And that's really on the rise. So that's a little bit about me. Fantastic. Thanks, Sarah. And when you're not mediating or, or looking at psychology or um, anything else like that, what would you like to do in your spare time in a, in a post-COVID world? Well, actually, I'm, I'm really into um, like the outdoors and nature, hiking. So I've actually been pretty lucky in lockdown because a lot of people seem to have got quite sick of uh, walking every day. But I don't <laughs> really mind that so much. So, um, yeah, and I, I mean, I live with my husband. We've just been spending time together, you know, cooking, all that sort of stuff. Missing friends, I'd probably be a lot more social normally, of course, like most people. I think we know you now. So look, we're absolutely happy to hand over to you for uh, the presentation. As I say to the audience, please do pop your hand up, share questions, experiences, as interactive as, as we like, um, as interactive as we could get it, the better. Uh, but Sarah, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So hi, everybody. It's really nice to see you all. Um, thank you so much for joining today. So I've already shared a little bit about my background. And as we know, the topic of today is, is conflict in the workplace. And as I was planning for this talk with Paul, I often find when I'm talking about conflict that people, when they're interested in learning more about conflict, they seem to sort of fall into two categories. One is I'm interested to learn about conflict because at work, I'm in a position where I'm helping other people solve conflict. So people in, for example, you know, the HR or uh, people and culture parts of the business. 
And then there's people who are actually, you know, looking to build their skills because they're working with conflict themselves. So conflict is a little bit of a dirty word, but I think it's something we all come up against. So, you know, I can certainly think of examples in my own life of, you know, working or there's been you know a colleague of mine who you know our hearts are in the right place but somehow the communication just feels a bit stinted and we just can't seem to get to the point in conversation so it would be really really helpful to hear a little bit about why you've come whether it's because you're in a position of helping other people or whether it's because you're interested in learning about it for yourself I'll try to touch on both of those areas because all of what we're going to be talking about is applicable for both of those areas it just changes a little bit how you position it any comments or thoughts that you have on that on, and why you're here would be really, really, really great to hear just in the chat function. The other thing just before we start to say about conflict. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. We've had a couple of comments coming in already. Thanks so much. That's really, really helpful. So when the other thing to say about conflict, conflict is inevitable. And when we talk about working with conflict, um, the key thing really that I'm going to be reiterating throughout the presentation is all about connection, connecting with each other understanding each other and creating a sense of humanity in the workplace. That's really, really the focus of sort of the key point, if you like, of the presentation today. So the big focus is we're looking at human needs and how we connect with our own needs and the needs of other people in order to resolve conflict. And then the other thing to say is that, you know, when we successfully resolve conflict or work through conflict, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be the best of friends. So in mediation, that's often what we say. We're not we're not looking to be friends. What we're looking for is a way that we can work together such that we all feel safe, comfortable, respected, and of course we can get the work done. So I think that's important sometimes to set that expectation because, you know, sometimes when there's disagreements, we're not going to resolve it to the point where, we, you know, we're going down to the pub together and we're, we're sort of best of friends at work and that's okay. We just want to be able to work well together and feel okay at work. That's often the objective when, when we're looking to solve conflict. The, I think the plan is I'm going to be talking for about 30 minutes. Oh, thank you. Someone's just commented about working in the area of bullying, which is a really interesting point. So maybe I'll say something about that a little bit later. So I'll be talking for about 30 to 40 minutes. As Paul's already said, if you do have questions, please just come off mute, jump in, put them on the chat function. Or um, just put your hand up if you're trying to work out when's a good time to jump in and I can pause for a moment while you come off mute and ask your question. And similarly, if you have any comments or thoughts, perhaps, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people on the call who have experience working in conflict as well, or the, the area of difficult conversations. So it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit of your experience, some of your thoughts on, on perhaps on some of the material that we're sharing today, because of course, we're all learning together in these kinds of uh, topics. Okay, so what we're going to cover today is, so what do we mean by conflict? We're going to look at conflict styles, we're going to look at some principles of resolution, and we're going to look at um, a couple of tools to, in order, uh, that we can use in having the conversation. So we can say that difficult conversations or, or conflict conversations is, is just anything we find tricky at work. So there's a, a great book called Difficult Conversations, which is um, the authors are in, you can see on the screen, so Stone Pattern. And they say, you know, difficult conversations really is anytime we feel vulnerable, our self-esteem is implicated, there's a difference of opinion, issues at stake are important, the outcome is uncertain, we care deeply about what is being discussed. And so I think one of the reasons why I like this quote is I think it really shows that one of the things that's happening, but we care deeply about things. It's talking about things like vulnerability and self-esteem. We can see how conflict or difficult conversations naturally are very emotive. 
you know, we have a, often a very strong reaction. And that's one of the things that really means about when we're in difficult conversations or conflict is how am I and how are they? Or if you're working and um, helping others solve conflict, you know, what's going on emotionally? And until we can help them calm down emotionally, it's going to be very difficult to be constructive. So the emotional part is really important. I also wanted to share with you um, a great book, um, another great book called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And one of my favourite quotes, so, so Susan Scott is all about the conversation. And one of the things that she says, one of her famous quotes is, our work, our relationships and our lives succeed or fail one conversation at a time. And no single conversation is guaranteed to transform a company a relationship or a life, any single conversation can. So really, it's just this idea that, you know, each conversation we have is really, really important. And how we have the conversation is really, really important. And some conversations we might not think are important, but every conversation can have the potential to really, really impact the relationship. So when we think about conflict, we're not just thinking about dealing with the conflict there. And then we're thinking about often when we think about conversations, we're thinking about what can we do to prevent conflict? To build the relationship in advance. This slide is just to think about the different factors or the common factors that can occur in workplace conflict. So sometimes we can have different goals and this would be common, um, for example, between different teams. Sometimes organisations are set up. So a common one is going to be a sales team and an ops team, right? So the sales team is looking to kind of sell as much as they can and the ops team have to deliver it. And sometimes the ops team is kind of overwhelmed and, you know, and they're under capacity and the sales team is still trying to sell more and more and more. So you can see that within the system, there's potential for conflict to arise because um, people are stressed and they've got different goals potentially. We also have different perspectives, different approaches. We might have the same goal, but we have, we have different beliefs about how we should go about that. We have different values. This is a really, really big one. So what do we mean by respect? What do we mean by rude? You know, people have different ideas about what rudeness is or what politeness is. Um, poor communication, so just not letting people know. Clashing into personal styles, so, you know, people who are very, I don't know, talkative and chatty, and then you've got somebody that prefers a sort of quiet working environment, this kind of thing. Direct competition, and then another common one is power imbalance. So when we feel that we're in conflict with somebody and it's very difficult for us to address that conflict because somehow they're in a position of higher power than, than we are, not just to do with hierarchy, but can be obviously to do with hierarchy. This is a real age old model, the communication model. And the reason why I wanted to show this is so you can see there's four stages in really any communication, intention, mindset and beliefs, action, or what we do in you know, how we behave and also the impact we have on others. So a couple of points I just wanted to make here are that a lot happens before we take action. So we need to think about our intention and we need to think about our mindset and our beliefs before we actually take action. And then the second point to make is that we can do all of this work to think about intention, mindsets, the right behaviours, but we don't always have control over the impact we have on somebody else. So if I'm directly involved in, in conflict, for example, I might wish to successfully resolve it. I might want to have an open conversation, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. I might sort of get my mindset in the right place. I might really empathise with the other person and I might go into the conversation really well prepared with what I'm going to say and, and it just goes wrong. And part of the reason why it go wrong is because that person's just not ready to talk about it. That's tricky, right? Because it's going to stay a bit more stuck unless the other person's ready also to resolve it. That's, that's going to be difficult to move forward. This is a, an old model from the 1970s, so the Tom and Kilman conflict styles. So they did a lot of research to show that we commonly 
have five different styles that, that we use and, and most people have a tendency. So if you look at the graph here, sorry, you can see that you've got cooperativeness along the x-axis and assertiveness along the y-axis. So most people, you know, fall somewhere on this graph. So if you're if you generally are very, a very, very cooperative person and not very assertive, what you might find is that you're often thinking about when we say your needs, I mean the other person's needs. So you are, you're accommodating to the other person. If you're very, very assertive and not very cooperative, then you might be often thinking about my needs. And then you've got avoidance where you're not really thinking about anybody's needs. That can be a bit of a head in the sand. Compromise, which is a common one where it's a, a compromise between the needs of both parties. And then you've got collaboration, which is really what we're trying to go for with constructive resolution, because with collaboration, the idea is that we're fully meeting the needs of all parties. Now, Although that's collaboration is often what we're going for, actually, there's many reasons why we might want to use different approaches. So somebody mentioned bullying in the comments. Clearly with bullying, you know, obviously our rights are protected in things like the Equality Act. So if there's things like discrimination or bullying happening at work, well, in fact, it's not even really solving conflict. But what I'm thinking is that, of course, you're going to go down then my needs or it's not even my needs at this point, is it? it's more like my rights. So you're not looking really necessarily for a collaborative solution. You're looking for a, this needs to be sorted out. And, you know, there might be a discussion, but it's a little bit more about right or wrong as opposed to needs. Sometimes we might decide to accommodate the other person. So a common one here is going to be, um, if it's a customer, we might decide that we want to accommodate the customer requirements, even though it's a bit tricky for us will choose to respond in a different way further down the line. But at this point in time, the best approach is to accommodate. And also avoidance. Sometimes if we think, for example, I don't know, this person's not open to resolving this conflict. I'm just going to avoid them. I'm just going to keep my head down. Or sometimes you see a little bit of friction in teams when teams first come together. So if you think of Tuckman's model, the storming, forming, norming, model it's quite normal for there to be a little bit of friction at the beginning of, of team formulation so you might just sort of sit with it let it play out because sometimes it just takes a little bit of time for things to calm down so you might not wish to do anything proactively so we always have choices in how we we're seeking to resolve conflict but in this today we're really looking we're going to be looking at how can we get to the point of collaborative meaning how can we be both assertive and cooperative and it's not so much about rights per se, it's more about needs. So thinking about some of the resolution principles. So I've mentioned already something about emotion. And we know that, that when we're in conflict situations, often the situation we feel very emotionally charged. And that can come out in all sorts of ways. It can come out in feeling overwhelmed, vulnerable, upset, or it can come out as, as anger because we're, you know, we're feeling attacked and we feel we've got to defend ourselves. So one way we can think of this is um, if you've ever read the Steve Peters book, The Chimp Paradox, it's a great book. And he talks about our inner chimp. And so, you know, our inner chimp is basically our emotions. Our emotions are kind of instinctive, whereas our mind or it's more sort of rational and logical. Our emotions are instinctive and they're there to protect us. And it's a huge asset because, in, you know, when we use our instincts, we're working out what to do very, very quickly. And those instinctive reactions can be really, really helpful. They, they give us a lot of information. But sometimes they can be really overwhelming when we're in certain situations. Oh, thanks, Paul. You've just put the link to uh, Chimp Paradox in there. Sometimes our emotions can be so powerful, you know, we can become emotionally hijacked. 
And the thing is, is that in conflict situations, that's just going to happen sometimes when we care so much about something or when we feel that we, we, maybe we don't feel we have the power or maybe we just feel something, often it comes back to values. If we feel something is just so unfair, we can feel really overwhelmed with emotion. So what Steve Peters talks about is what can we do about that? So some of the techniques are about, well, sometimes we need to just nurture our chimp. So sometimes we just feel these emotions and we just need to let them run their nice to ourselves. Like, yes, of course you're angry because it's a really hard situation. So that's like nurturing. Sometimes we need to just express. So that's have a good offload to a friend or something before, or maybe the HR team before you go in and try and have the conversation. And then sometimes it's about managing. So you're trying to use the kind of your rational function to say, come on, calm down. It's not so bad. You're overreacting. You know, but if you're, re- if you're really in the heat of the emotional hijack, sometimes that's quite tricky. So it's important to think about the emotions. And also if you're supporting other people in resolving conflict, part of the point is, is, is if, they're ha- if they have a heightened emotion, it's very difficult for them to hear what you're saying. So we need to kind of calm people down before we can actually have a constructive conversation. So emotions have played quite an important part in this. And when we think about mindset in terms of conflict, there's this idea of multiple realities. So if you look at the picture, you can see that there's a tree or you can see two animals. So the point is, is that it's very, very difficult to see both of those things at the same time. Generally speaking, you can see the tree or you can see the animals or you have to kind of make your eyes go a bit fuzzy in order to see both. So it's a bit tricky to see both at the same time, but both of them are there. So this idea that there's multiple realities and an example in terms of workplace conflict would be, you know, somebody who's very rude from another point of view is somebody who's also very polite. Yeah, because maybe somebody was talking at length in a meeting and the meeting was going over and the other person interrupted. And so the person who was talking thought that person who interrupted was very rude but actually the person who interrupted thought actually I'm the one that's been polite because I'm keeping us on time which is the polite thing to do for this meeting what do we consider to be rude what do we consider to be polite we've all got different perspectives we all have different realities on this and so it's this language of using both and and instead of either or so the situation was that she was rude and polite, you know, so it's this idea of kind of being okay with paradox. So that's kind of just part of the mindset we're trying to get into to sort of underpin our ability to, to work with conflict constructively. The other really important principle is really we're trying to get underneath what's going on. So in, again, in conflict, we often find that people hold positions. So the position might be, if I go with the example I've been using, she's just so rude. Well, what's underneath that? What does what is she really saying? When she's saying somebody's so rude, what is she really saying? The sentence, she's so rude, of course, is about the other person. And what we're trying to do is we get to the point of what is she saying about her own needs? And if somebody says something like she's so rude, she's probably saying something like, I want to be heard. I want to be listened to. I want to be respected in meetings. So it's it's becoming, the position is often about the other person, whereas the need is often about, well, what is it they really need? And this is a very, very, very powerful technique. I've got the example that I just gave, actually, I've got it on a slide later, so I'll say a little bit more when I get to that so you can see it as I'm talking. So one way to kind of highlight what we mean by getting underneath the surface is this, um, the orange dilemma. And the orange dilemma is, so there's only one orange 
both parties, there's two people, they both want the orange and it's not possible to get another orange. So, so what, what do we do? And when we ask people this, you know, if you're in a workshop or something, you ask people this, people will often say, well, we cut it in half, you know, give them each half. So that's an example of a compromise or give it to the person who asked first or give it to the person who most needs it. And of course, that's an example of, you know, your needs, my needs, somebody being assertive if they get it or cooperative if they don't get it. So how do we be collaborative? So it's about getting underneath. And this is a really simple example where one party wants the orange because they want to they want the peel in order to make a cake. They want the, the zest of it to make a cake. And the other person wants the juice, the pulp and the juice in order to make a juice because they got a cold and they want to make an orange juice. So they want it. They want different things. So as soon as we understand that, it gives us more options really for what we can do. So that's so great. OK, so we'll give one person the peel. We'll give one person the flesh. So this is the example that I was talking about earlier. So she's so rude. If somebody says this to you, then, you know, we want to get curious. Well, what do you mean by that? And okay, so she keeps cutting me off in meetings. Okay, so that's still a position or it's still an accusation. But in our minds, what we might be thinking is, oh, what she's really telling me is I want to have input in the meetings. I want to be heard. I want to be respected. I want to be valued. And these are the needs that the person is really expressing to you. So as a mediator, one of the things that I would be doing if somebody says to me, you know, she's just so rude, at some point when it's appropriate, I would try to reframe that and say to them, yeah, I can hear it's really important that you're able to talk in meetings. So really what I'm, I'm reflecting back to that person is their need, which is as soon as we make it about needs rather than, a bit, than positions, what we're doing is we're taking the blame out of the statement so the position is about the other person it's blame focused and it's also about what's happened in the past whereas when we talk about needs and interests we make it about me we make it responsibility like this is what I, I take responsibility for my own needs and it also means that we can begin to think about what's going to happen in the future so the past is the past you know certain people might have been rude or disrespectful in ways in the past but it's more about what's going to happen in the future and also what do we mean by rude and disrespectful so specifically what do we mean by that what's what's the person's perspective when they say that so I'm going to talk for a moment now about having the conversation so having the conversation so in order to and in fact I'm just going to pause that because I'm just going to have a look at some of the comments I could see some interesting stuff coming up okay the chimp paradox restate Freud's concept of the id ego super ego I've not heard it talked about in that way I'd love to hear your thoughts on that Jed at the end if, if you feel you'd like to talk about that I've not heard it phrased in that way having the conversation we're going to look at a case study here so we're going to look at the case study of Beth so Beth is a UK marketing manager she's worked in the company for five years and she's focused on promotion she's a hard worker she's super talented She's been mentored by the vice president of the department and to all intensive purposes, she's going to be, you know, she's looking towards a promotion. Just recently, there's been a merger. So she now works alongside Laura and there's actually a little bit of overlap between the roles. So we can see that organisationally or, or within the system, the system is set up such that potentially there's going to be a bit of friction. There's been a merger, overlap of roles. People are going to be thinking, well, what's going to happen to my role? So we can see that the, the context is set such that conflict may arise. So she finds Laura uncommunicative, rude in meetings and at times aggressive. So there's been times that Beth has been over to try to speak to Laura about initiatives that they're working on and she's found Laura just doesn't want to talk 
and has sort of kept her back to her when she's maybe instant messaged her to have a conversation. Laura just ignores her. She doesn't seem to want to get into the conversation. When they've had meetings, Beth is, she feels that Beth is constantly cutting in, telling her to, you know, that she's going off on tangents and she's really been quite rude. Beth has actually talked to some of her colleagues. So Beth's been in the company for a while. She's been off and she's talked to some of her colleagues to complain about Laura. And of course, all of her colleagues agree with her because they're all, you know, Beth unknowingly has probably selected people she knows who who are her friends, who she knows are going to agree with her. Laura is uncommunicative, rude. And actually now she's been a bit more riled up through talking to people and there's been a series of incidents and she sort of decides that she's really going to have it out with Laura once and for all. She goes over, she says to Laura, you know, what is your problem? Laura, you know, says something back and there's a little bit of an argument. And now at this point, Beth is like, actually, Laura's actually quite aggressive, you know, so you can see how it sort of escalates over time. When we think about the needs of Beth, actually what she wants, she wants to be able to discuss projects. She wants to be able to collaborate. And she's probably thinking about communication, like how they communicate and how they can spend longer talking about things. If Beth was going to try and resolve the conflict with Laura. This is all the information that she would have, right? She would only have this information about herself. herself. But we're going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to show you a little bit about Laura. So Laura has just joined the company before the merger and she actually worked in a very blame-focused culture previously. So this is interesting because it shows us that when we find ourselves in conflict, it's usually not just about that conflict. It's actually to do with all sorts of past experiences that influence how we respond in this current situation. So she's worked in quite a blame-focused culture. And that means that actually she takes a bit of time to trust people. Maybe she is a little bit, maybe she's not as willing to be as friendly as immediately as Beth would like. And Beth has taken that to be sort of uncommunicative or a little bit cold. Laura, however, is very professional and she focuses on getting the job done. So she's really efficient. She's, you know, she's very capable. She gets through high work volumes. And generally speaking, she gets on pretty well with most people and she's known for getting the job done to a high level of quality. So from her perspective, she thinks Beth lacks boundaries. She finds Beth is constantly interrupting her in meetings when she's trying to work. Um, She doesn't seem to, you know, out of hours. She feels that Beth lacks boundaries. She thinks Beth talks too much. And actually, she finds it very, very negative. She finds that she's often complaining about things without coming up with a solution. So if Laura was to think about her needs, her needs might be more around, well, how can we be efficient? How can we get things done quickly? And, you know, I want to be connected with people at work, but I don't want to be overly personal. That might be something about her needs as well. So this might be um, a scenario that you can relate to at work. So what's Beth going to do? So if we think about Beth, what she can do, let's say, so Beth, feels that Laura is uncommunicative and rude. Beth has been in the company for a while and, you know, she's thinking, I don't, I get on with most people. I really would like to try and solve this if I can. So she maybe goes and talks to somebody. She comes to talk to HR and she's thinking, you know, what can I do to resolve this? And some of the things that would be helpful for her to think about are, well, what are the risks and benefits of having this conversation? So Beth knows there's a problem with Laura. She'd like to resolve it. And she thinks she should have a conversation, but she's not sure that's the right thing to do. It's worthwhile thinking, well, what are the risks and the benefits of that? So the risk could be that she goes and has the conversation. Laura's just not interested. It really goes downhill. It escalates again and things end up worse. It could be that she ends up putting herself in quite a vulnerable position if she shares something about her needs and she might feel that she's not quite ready to do that. So there's 
you know, and obviously there's benefits in that she might actually resolve the conflict. They might end up seeing each other's point of view in this situation. It's also important for Beth to ask, well, how am I feeling? Am I feeling quite angry? Is there a potential that I'm going to fly off the handle if I go and have this conversation? And what can I do to sort of calm myself to allow me to go and have that conversation? And then also, what is my intention? So sometimes in conflict, our intention is simply to let somebody else know how we're feeling. And sometimes there's something specific that we want to achieve, like, please don't cut me off in meetings, for example. So so that's really important. So why am I having this conversation? And this is probably the most helpful slide. So the seeking to understand versus seeking to be understood. You might remember this if you've read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So this is a really great approach to relationships and conversations in general. But the idea is that along this spectrum, so accept, listen, empathize, acknowledge, summarize, ask, reframe, have a dialogue, problem solve, give our own feedback for how we're thinking, think about the future, find a solution. When there's any kind of difficult conversation, we can choose any of these skill sets or any of these approaches that we want to start the conversation with. So depending on the situation, if we feel, for example, that the person is just in the wrong and that actually we need to be quite assertive about our needs, then we might kind of go straight back into feedback. Look, this is this is what you did and this is how it made me feel. Please don't do that. Or more commonly with interpersonal conflict and more often, not always, but a more successful approach is to go in to, 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 and accept first there is conflict and first try to listen and to understand the other person's perspective. And that's really, really difficult, again, often because emotions come into play or feelings about justice and fairness. And certainly with mediation, what we'd, we'd always go in and the first thing we'd be doing is thinking about that top left, listening, empathising. And I would say that for me, the most difficult thing in, in mediation is that reframe in the middle, which is when you're moving from position to need. Because, you know, people get stuck in positions. The positions are when they feel like they've not done anything wrong. And then, you know, it's all about the other person. And, you know, they're angry. They're frustrated. They're upset. They feel violated. So, you know, it's really important that we respect that space. And sometimes, you know, depending on the level and extent of the conflict, it can be very difficult for people to move forward. And so that reframe is really the bridge from that listening and talking about the past to thinking about what's going to happen next and, and talking more constructively. And if you don't get the timing of that right, it's not as impactful as you would like it to be. So that reframe is really, really key. The biggest thing we're trying to do in that first part, so before the reframe, when we're listening and asking questions, the first thing we're really trying to do is build empathy. So we can think of empathy, we can think of it as being like a beach ball. So I see it from my perspective, which is yellow. So what's their perspective, which is red? How can I see it from their perspective? And so, you know, when we're demonstrating empathy, we're trying to be curious, we're trying to listen to them. Um, We're trying not to interrupt them, even though we might be triggered by something they say. We might summarise back to check we've understood. And the key thing is when we're demonstrating empathy, it's often about acknowledging their experience. So I can hear this has been really difficult for you, but it's not giving your point of view and it's not agreeing with them. So I can hear this is difficult is not saying I agree with you that I'm difficult. So empathy is about acknowledging their experiences without agreeing with them and also without feeling sorry for them. So it's not sympathy. Daniel Pink, in his book, talks about empathy as attunement. So how can we attune to the mindset of the other person, to what's going on for the other person? 
And so I'm going to share a tool now, which you might also have come across, which is very, very helpful in terms of building empathy. And it's called perceptual repositions. Perceptual repositions is about thinking about something from three different positions. So you can, there's lots of different variations of this, but I'm going to talk about it from three different positions. So the first position is Beth. So Beth wants to solve the, if we talk about Beth again, Beth wants to solve the conflict with Laura. So Beth wants to solve the conflict with Laura. So the yellow chair is Beth. So the first thing Beth would do, now she doesn't have to spend long in this space, but she needs to just build a bit of self-awareness here. So she'd sit down, you know, she could imagine she's in the yellow chair. If you're going to do this really properly, it's important to actually physically move. I do this in coaching all the time. So you can do this again, if you're working it to support the people in conflict, you could try this if you feel it's appropriate. Is everyone capable of empathising? Oh, good question. Like Short answer, I would say yes, but maybe we can talk about that one at the end. And there's lots of tools that we can do to build our ability to empathise. So she's connecting with herself. She's building a self-awareness. She's thinking, what is my experience? What do I think? How do I feel? What do I need more of? What do I need less of? So she's been asking herself, herself these sorts of questions to really connect him with where she's coming from. What she would do, and ideally you physically move to a different positional movement, is it as you physically move, you're actually enabling your brain to make a shift as well. So the physical movement is quite important. And so at this point, she sits in the, in the chair, where, which is Laura. So now she's Laura. And as Laura, she's thinking, OK, what's my experience? What do I think? How do I feel? What do I need more of? What do I need less of? And so she's really trying to sit in the, in the position see things from the perspective of Laura. And it's very powerful. The physical movement is very, very powerful. And the third chair, we can say, is the guru chair. So you move to the third chair, and this time you say, what is my experience? And you're sort of connecting with the guru, the know-all guru, the person who has infinite wisdom. You ask the guru, well, what can I see as the guru? So I'm looking at Beth and Laura. So this is the third-party perspective. What can I see? What insights can I share that are going to help the situation or Beth to deal with the situation? And what advice do I have? So that, again, that's very, very difficult probably as well, but helpful to step outside of the situation and think, what would a third party perspective be? You don't have to call it the guru. You could call it, you know, you could just call it third party if you wanted to. And what you might get from this exercise. So again, Beth, if Beth was to go through this exercise, she might come up with a range of hypotheses and she might think, Laura just doesn't like me. Okay, so if that was her hypotheses and she thought that was true, she might think, okay, so what does that mean for how I need to approach this situation? It means that maybe we're not going to be friends, but maybe I can communicate with Laura something that's really important to me and that I can make a request for the way that she treats me. But I'm not going to expect us to be all really connected at work and really chatty and all of that. Maybe we have different communication styles. Maybe I'm more, you know, if anybody's done psychometrics, these are why psychometrics are so useful because they're often focused on communication styles. So maybe I'm more chatty, spontaneous, big picture thinking. And maybe Laura is a little bit more structured and planned and logical. And maybe my kind of asking questions and big picture thinking, maybe it's a bit stressful for her. Maybe we have different ways of communicating. So what can I do to try and connect with her in a way that's going to allow our communication to be more successful? So I won't go through all of these, but you can see that depending on what we learn from our empathy, then gives us strategies for how we might approach the situation. So empathy is really key. And then the second tool, this is the final section really, um, that I wanted to share is a model um, called nonviolent communication. So again, a really, really famous model came about 
Marshall Rosenberg, he's a clinical psychologist. So, you know, he talks about conflict is inevitable and we need, you know, how can we deal with it in a way which is collaborative, compassionate and assertive. So we want to be both compassionate to the other person, connected to the person, and we want to be assertive. We want to protect our own rights. So both of those things are important. He called it nonviolent communication. A lot of people aren't really a fan of this name because it suggests, you know, when we think of violence, we think, oh, that's just avoiding not having a punch up or something. He's actually talking a lot about the words that we use. So, so using words which are more collaborative and connected and, and compassionate and assertive. So there's four parts to the model. So this is about expressing ourselves in a collaborative and uh, compassionate and assertive way. So the first part is observation. So we want to observe what has happened. So again, I'm going to give an example in just a moment, but we want to keep this neutral and as specific as possible. So without judgment, this is just a fact. This is just what happened. You didn't include me on the email or when you didn't include me on the email. The feeling, now I felt upset. I felt left out. I felt excluded. You know, so the feeling is really important because if you remember, I said at the beginning, it's about connecting as humans. This is a a big part of how we can resolve conflict. But it's not always feelings a little bit tricky sometimes in the workplace, because sometimes people are like, I don't really want to talk about feelings. So I think there is a question around what is culturally appropriate. However, there's a lot of research to show that when we express our feelings, not in in a sort of needy way, but in a way just saying, I feel stressed then that really helps the other person to see how it's affecting you and help them to see that person in a more human way, which kind of lays the foundation for this constructive conversation to take place. The other thing to say about feelings is it's very easy to say, so when you didn't include me on the email, I felt excluded as a feeling, but often people can say they can actually give a thought or a judgment thinking it's a feeling. So they might say something like, I felt like you did it on purpose is really a thought or a judgment. So to be careful with the word feeling when we're talking about feelings, to actually make sure it is a feeling that's being expressed. So I'll just repeat the example then. So when you didn't include me on the email, I felt excluded. And then the need, because I need to see what's going on or I need to know the updates with that project, you know, so that I can get back to the client. So why do you need it? And then finally, what's the request? So how can we communicate better? Or how can I be kept updated about what's going on with that client, for example? So there's four stages, observation, feeling, need, request. And then this is the example, which, because I thought about it, it's probably a bit more succinct than the one I just came up with in the previous slide. And this goes back to the scenario we've been talking about between Beth and Laura. So Beth might say to Laura, when you interrupted me in the meeting this morning, so very specific, very neutral, I felt upset. Because it's important we listen to one another. So the request is, please, could you not interrupt me? So that's very clean, very clear. Or she could phrase it as a question. I'm just wondering how we can have meetings so we all have time to speak. If Laura was going to speak from her end, she might say something like, when you were talking in the meeting, I felt anxious because I thought we were going to go over and I have to finish at three o'clock to get home to pick up my daughter. So I wonder, how can we have meetings that finish on time? So then the question becomes, how can we have meetings that give people time to speak and finish on time? So it goes back to that and, not either or. How can we have and and both? How can we fulfil both of those needs? There could be all sorts of conversations like having a clearer agenda, having more frequent but shorter meetings, agreeing 
that it's okay to cut people off and agreeing how what language might be used when that happens, for example, so that everybody knows what's going to take place. So, so this idea of having a sort of agreement in place, if you like, for what's going to happen for future scenarios. So that is everything I wanted to talk about today. So just as a recap, we've talked about what we mean by conflict. We've talked about conflict styles. We've really focused on positions and needs, multiple realities, empathy and entombment. And we've looked at the non-violent communication model. So I'm going to stop there. We have 10 minutes before the end. And I'd love to hear any questions or thoughts that people have. Yeah, just I'll, I'll start. The exercise where you're sitting in each other's position with the chairs, I think, you know, we talked about this before. I, I, it's something I've been through when in my first year of Interquest, I, I was assigned a new manager who I was reporting to. And personality types, we were absolutely different sides of the spectrum. So he, he was a yellow, very extroverted, and I'm very blue and green, a bit more kind of laid back and sit, sit back and see how things pan out. And we just couldn't get on the same page with things. And luckily, I had a, an executive coach who kind of taught me through this model and it boiled down to that word intention that you mentioned. And I think often we assume other people know that our intentions are good. And because, but because we communicate in different ways, that doesn't always come out. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway I found from it is that when there is a, a situation of conflict, I lay out my intentions at the beginning and saying, I want, you know, if we're talking about the orange, I want to work out a way so we both get this orange. That's my intention. So how do we get there? And that for me has been a bit of a game changer. Yeah, and I, I've had quite a similar example at work with we, we used to work with the boss and I used to ask a lot of questions and I could see her absolutely tense up when I was asking questions I realized two things one she was quite succinct and liked to get to the point and I complicated things so she didn't like that she always knew the answers and that made her quite defensive so I changed my communication style so I stopped asking questions and I kind of talked quite succinctly. And I just, if I had a question, I went about finding the answer in a different way. And that really, really helped our relationship. So that was very helpful. And I'm just thinking if we could go back to Neil's question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is everyone capable of empathising? I wonder, Neil, do you have a thought on this? I think very occasionally, and I think this is the exception to the rule, I think you do meet people you suspect cannot empathise and they can't attune to other people's feelings or understand other people's needs. And they're working to a completely different agenda. And that may actually express itself as bullying or manipulation or something else. And I've encountered that not very often in my career, but once or twice. But when it, when it happens, it's, it's a really difficult thing to deal with because all the normal methods don't seem to work. And you know it's difficult to build a, a proper relationship with that person. I can really see that. And I, so I would, I think that from a kind of theoretical point of view, I do believe that each person has the potential for empathy. And I think because of often to do with life experiences, they get very defensive or they feel very, you know, vulnerable and they feel that they've got to defend themselves all the time. And that's for me what underpins bullying really mm -hmm. if that person is just trying to is so vulnerable that they can't even admit their own vulnerability but the thing is is that if people are really sort of stuck if you like in that position as you say it's very very difficult to shift it so what do you do in those instances one thing you can do is work around it so you can find another maybe a way of communicating with them such that they're, they're not bullying you and then of course you've got things like grievances so obviously things like bullying in the workplace, you know, usually a com most companies would have policies around that and there would be, you know, you could go down the grievance route. And that's where 
often you want to try and mediate before you get to the grievance point of view because mediation is about the third party facilitating the conversation. But sometimes in mediation, you know, somebody's just not willing to engage in that conversation. So that might be when you think, well, actually, somebody's rights have really been violated here. They're not willing to change or have a conversation about it. So we're, unfortunately, we're just going to have to go down the, 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 the grievance route or even the yeah. legal route. So I absolutely agree. And then the other thing to say about empathy, you can make a distinction between effective empathy or empathy, like connecting emotionally, and also cognitive empathy, which is more around seeing their point of view. So if somebody's not very sort of feeling focused, you could go down the cognitive empathy. And, you know, that's sort of what I was saying with hypotheses, trying to see what's their sort of cognitive point of view, which doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you have to connect with the um, emotion. More yeah. of an intellectual process, and uh, yeah, yeah, feelings, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that I think sometimes like really resonates with some, some people very uncomfortable talking about feelings. And I personally also feel that we need to respect that. Uh, you know, certainly if we're trying to resolve conflict, we're not going to get very far if we, you know, we can't force people to talk. They'll just get more defensive with us if we. No, I think we encourage people to express their personalities these days, don't we? And be authentic, to use that yeah. phrase, which I'm actually not very keen on, but. And that should come with, you know, being able to talk about your feelings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just a, a, another thought that popped into my head, uh, if you don't mind, Sarah, there's a chap called Jocko Willick, who's a, a Navy SEAL who I, I follow. Um, he's written a book called Extreme Ownership. And his one of the things which has always stuck with me, and I actually try and get my managers who work for me to kind of follow this, is that if there's a situation where you're expecting conflict, where you know there's a problem and it needs mm-hmm. to be addressed, that if you, it's a technique called the disarming technique, which is quite simply going in. And even if it's not something you feel is your fault, really looking at what you could have done differently and starting off with that. And by doing that, um, it kind of disarms the other person in the sense that it becomes, rather than them needing to go on the attack, they don't need to because you've already kind of disarmed. Does that make sense? Is that something that works in your opinion or can work? Yeah, definitely. That's also... It involves empathy, right? So thinking mm. about what does this other person need preemptively and then going in and trying to meet that need, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. As, as much as we can do that, the better. And I think that, again, it's, it's interesting because going back to the conflict styles, I often find people say they're either, they either fall into the very cooperative or very assertive. Mm. So sometimes it feels like those people that are really assertive are trying to sort of become a little bit more like accommodating of the other person and those people they're really cooperative it's a bit more about being assertive so you just made me think of that part of it as well so did you have anything you wanted to to add to to your presentation I'm just conscious of time is there anything else you wanted to add before we, we sign off no but I'd love to hear um Jed commented in the box here around the chimp paradox restates Freud's concept of the id ego and the super ego I don't know if you fancied saying something a little bit more around that because I've not heard it positioned in that way before yeah, I'm aware that we don't have much time. I mean, I've heard one or two unkind people say that he's just ripped it off from Freud. I don't think it's quite that simple. But the way he divides up people saying that uh, to control your emotions, you, you kind of have different parts of your mind and different parts of your personality, that those things that he's saying align with those three areas that Freud came out with. Yeah. Yeah, because the id is like the emotional part mm-hmm. and the brain, the cognitive brain, the rational brain is like the superego. Yeah. 
yeah and and I think what probably what Steve Peters did was repackaged it in a way that people could relate to I don't always like the idea of a chimp because I think Mm. you know chimp suggests I don't know I think that the emotions are much more actually intelligent than we often give them credit for so I'm not always a big fan of the word chimp as well but I I quite like it because I think it simplifies the concept the Wikipedia page about id, ego and super ego is probably a five minute read if you wanted to read that and uh, kind of compare it to the summary of the chimp paradox. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take a look. The numbers are just going off a little bit. We've had um, some good, nice comments in the in the group from Rachel. Very, thank you very much. Really interesting. Neil said needs to drop. Thanks. Excellent presentation. Thanks, Sarah. Pia has just said it makes me think of Siobhan's very interesting book and a webinar of hers I joined two days ago, The Insider's Guide to Culture Change. Because I'll take a little look at that. And Jed's just shared that as well. We do need to do need to wrap up there. So, but Sarah, look, it's really, really great presentation. Some really, really interesting takeaways there. And I think most of it we could all kind of relate to in some form. If, if anybody would like to kind of get in contact with you after this, um, either who's been on the webinar or who's listening on the podcast, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, I've got my email, sarah at thinkteam.co.uk. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So I'm always happy to connect with people in and have a chat. I mean, I'm, I'm self-employed, so I always love meeting new people and just hearing about different people's experiences and learning and all of that stuff. So yeah, please do get in touch if you'd like to. Fantastic. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Next week, we're going to be discussing racism in the workplace with a lady called Shireen Daniels, um, a hot topic all the time, maybe even more so today as the, as the UK has declared it, uh, it does not have institutional racism. So we'll certainly be talking about that next week. Uh, but thank you for listening in and uh, I'll see you all next week. Thanks again, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Thanks, everyone, for joining.